Church podcast. I'm glad you're with us today. Listen, if I was told that I could only ever preach one sermon for the rest of my life, it would be this one. I'm so serious about this teaching. It's teaching is about there's two trees, and you've got to have a clear revelation of the meaning of these two trees and how they impact your life. Jesus has restored access to the tree of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We are in union with God because he made a covenant with himself that brought us life, abundant life. He came that we might have life. We're not going back to Eden. We're taking somewhere way beyond that that is so much better, that is given to us forever and can never be taken from us. You need to understand this truth and be grounded in it. Come on, let's get right into that word. I do want to tell you, I'm going to talk on two trees today, but uh, this is, uh, we only got three more Sundays after this one. Three more Sundays in this building. I mean, some of you thought, till Jesus comes? Yeah, maybe. Who really thought that? Thank you. Okay. So we only got three more Sundays in this building because we have sold the building and we've got to hand the keys off to somebody else, which is crazy. I mean, I've been coming to this building for 26 years. 26 years I've been coming here, and, and this has been where I've been hanging out with my dear wife and staff, and, you know, just God's done some wonderful things here. When we first moved down here 26 years ago, uh, we financially could not even handle the move we made, and the only option was if we stopped bringing in enough money to pay the bills, I had to go get a real job. Not the pastor, it's not a real job, but but I'd have to get out there. Actually, it was my, when we first moved to town, I was walking down the street and uh, just meeting people in the neighborhood. And they said, hey, there, one guy came over. Hey, little girl, how are you? You're new to the area. He said, yes, I am. He says, what's your daddy do for a living? She said, nothing. He's a pastor. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when you put God first, you honor him. It's a good, good thing. But here we are. We've been here at this building all this time. And it's really amazing to see what God has done. When we first came in here, could not afford it, but God was good. I mean, right away, our first set of meetings just to open the doors ended up being a revival. We just invited a guy to come and do an opening service, and it ended up that year we had 26 weeks of meetings. We had people coming from New York, from uh, Michigan, from all over the place. One night, we spontaneously baptized 60 people. It was just a ridiculous breakout, and by the end of the year, we were more than paying our bills. We'd exceeded anything we imagined, and God just broke out in a massive way, and we just kept going up and up and up, and it was real, real good. So uh, thank you, pitter-patter over there. And I really believe this transition isn't something we just thought, oh, we're bored, let's do something different. Uh, I really feel God's hand is on this in a big way. And I took an overhead shot of the area we're moving to, and we're close to the, right by the Highbury and Commissioner ramp off of the Highbury extension. And I really believe it's going to be easy access for all kinds of people. And I think it's going to blow up. I think God's going to do something real big. I think we're due for a ridiculous, reckless revival and outpouring of the Spirit of God, don't you? You know, so... I'll have to tell you, I'll never, ever forget what, what God's done for me in this building, though. I've been so touched and so blessed, and my heart's been so transformed over and over again the way he's visited. It seemed like a reckless step of faith at the time, but, wow, did God ever visit us, and did he ever meet us? He transformed our hearts, our lives. Everything about us was completely changed. Is that the truth, honey? It's a true story. So we're going to have more people give you some stories in the next few weeks, uh, even staff and things. But we're really grateful that God opened the door for us to be here and what we've been able to accomplish here. 
but we're really looking forward to this transition. Now, we're going to transition. We're going to go over across the road to All Saints Anglican. It's been decommissioned, the church. It's open. I've talked with the bishop, and he's worked out things where we go over there. We had several other scenarios of things we could do, but sadly, all those doors just closed, 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 and that door is open to us. It's, it's not uh, as large of a sanctuary as we have here, but we're going to set it up the best we can and use the building as best we can. But here's the good news. It's just a transition. It's not where we're headed. You know, it's just we're just stepping over here so we can step into something bigger and better. So I believe God's going to bless us even in the transition. And what's really great is that they have, they have pulpits that are raised up. I get to go up these steps into a pulpit. And so I get to stand really high and talk down to you. So, <laughs> so and, and there's a lot of stained glass and all that stuff. And I think there might be a few robes still downstairs in a locked room. And so the first Sunday you might see me wearing robes. Would that be bad? Don't do the robes? I don't know. Haven't you always wanted that? You know, like I've always wanted the robes, swing some incense, do some stuff. Hey, sometimes I miss this where... You know, I said, Lord, I'm pastoring a church in an old warehouse. You know, I mean, I, I want the stained glass, the high ceilings. I want, you know, all the bells and whistles. Woo! So you know what? God's going to give me a chance for three months to just live my dream. And so we're going to have a lot of fun, stained glass, having fun. There's even a pipe organ there. And uh, I told George one Sunday I'm going to give you the Sunday off. I'm going to hire a pipe organ player, and we're just going to go, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. Wah, 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 wah. How great thou art. How many want to sign up for that one ahead of time? How many want to book your seat for that one right now? You better sign up today because it's going to be a packed house, I'm telling you. It's going to be good. We're going to have a lot of fun in this transition. They got a gymnasium there too, so we can uh, have uh, right after church on Sunday, we're going to have some, what do they call it, murder ball or what do they call that? Uh, sorry, dodgeball. Okay, a murder ball. That's a bit intense, right? Murder ball. Like, I must have watched a bad movie. I don't know. But, but Dodgeball. Yeah, who wants to do that right after Sunday? Hit the dodgeball a couple snaps. Tim Horton's right across the road. Woo! Where we're going, there's a Tim Hortons right there in the complex. There's, you can go to Shoppers Drug Mart on the way out. I mean, so good. I mean, it's, you can drive into your shopping on the way home. Woo! All right. So how many are just so excited about this whole thing? I am. I tell you, but there's only, including today, I mean, we got four weeks. And by the way, we need you to help us because Cheryl broke her arm, which is really sad, which means I probably have to lift more stuff now. And, uh, you know, Cheryl can do the work of five men, honest to God. And if you know her, you know that's the truth. She can do the work of ten of me. So, and, and I've yielded to it for how many years? 38. You know what's really sad is that yesterday my car did get stolen. And uh, when Cheryl broke her arm, she took off her wedding rings because she didn't want her hand to swell and put them in the cup holder. And so, uh, yeah, her wedding rings got stolen as well. It's a diamond that I got for Cheryl when I was just a young man. You know, 20 years old, I scrounged and saved everything I could. It was like three years' income. My income back then was about a year, was about a thousand bucks. But, but, <laughs> but I mean, I was I just so excited to give that beautiful ring to my beloved. But you know, a few weeks later, she helped somebody move a fridge and it got knocked out of the ring, but somebody found it on the walkway and said, Look at that beautiful, massive, sparkling stone. It was so big, you could see it from a satellite. 
And so they found it on the steps, and so that was good. And then Cheryl was waitressing to help us through ministry when we first got here, and she uh, worked for Olive Garden, and they had a, a cooler for plates, a plate cooler. She's out serving a table, and somebody said, hey, your, uh, your ring hasn't got a stone in it. And Cheryl went, what? And so she went, and somebody, because it's so huge and you can see it from a satellite, there in the servery, somebody said, man, look at this massive stone inside the cooler. And so Cheryl found it again. So after that, we took it and had it reworked and had it covered in gold so it could never fall out again. It's a true story, isn't it, Cheryl? It's a true story. But, you know, that beautiful, pure gold stone that was a circle of my unending devotion and love to you over all these years is missing. I still love you, though. You know, even though the sign is gone, the real person is still manifesting the bliss you continue to walk in. I know I got a bit personal there, but anyway. All right, so say, Pastor, move on. So we're going to have a lot of fun in this transition. It's going to be a bit of work. I hope you join us and help us. going to be plenty of opportunities to help. So I hope you take the opportunity to jump in and be a part. All right, are you ready? Are you ready? All right, two trees. There's two trees, and this is the whole thing. Scene number one, Genesis chapter one, God creates everything. He sets it all, all up, does the whole thing. Then scene number two, boom, here's man, and he's put man in this garden. Scene number one, he's given man all authority, all power over everything in the earth, but he's placed him in this garden, and in this garden there was two trees. So scene number two, they're confronted with this choice that they can operate out of the life-giving force of God, and he's the source of everything forever, or they can, what about this knowledge tree? Say knowledge. I want you to know that it wasn't like a good tree and a bad tree. It wasn't God's tree and the devil's tree. It was a tree of life, say life, and a tree of knowledge. So it was not a tree of sin. It wasn't even a tree of evil. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the tree of the revelation of you get to decide what's good or what's bad. How would you like to live in a world where I determine what's good and what's bad? How would you like to live in that world where I decide whether you're performing good or bad? How would you like to be in that world where I'm the one who decides whether I approve of your life or I disapprove of your life? How would you like to live in that world where I'm the one who every day says, well, today I give you a five out of 10? How would you like to live in that world where every day you are being judged for your actions and your behaviors? How would you like to live in that world? Please tell me. No, I don't want to live in that world. And, and sadly, though, that's what this world is. It is a world of judgment. It is a world of constant evaluation. It's a world of constantly deciding, well, I think that's good and I think that's bad. That was the tree that God said, don't go near it, don't touch it, do not eat it, because the fruit of it will destroy you. And what we're experiencing in the world today is all kinds of people telling us all about what they think about good and evil. Everybody is judging everybody. Everybody is judging the world. Everybody is judging what's happening. Everybody is judging everything. And we're living in a world that is intoxicated on the tree of knowledge. 
And that is what happened in this story. And this is the one thing that if you don't understand this, you're going to read your Bible. You're going to read your Bible out of the tree of knowledge, or you can read your Bible out of the tree of life. If you read your Bible with the lens of the tree of knowledge, you're always looking for things that are good and things that are bad. You're always looking for rules and things to obey and laws and regulations. And you can read your Bible with that lens constantly and be miserable to be with and miserable with yourself because you were never meant to read out of that. You were always meant to read from the tree of life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And you see, too many people are still, there are two types of churches you can go to. You can go to the church of moralism, or you can go to the church of freedom. Let me say that again. You can go to the church of moralism, or you can go to the church of freedom. That's what we want to talk about today, because Jesus did not come to make you a rule keeper. Jesus came to set you free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. But all kinds of well-meaning people want to bring you into bondage. And you know what I think about that? 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 we got to stop this. Because this tree is going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which is freedom, it's love, it's patience, it's kindness. All that stuff. And so we got to eat of that tree. All right, say, come on, Pastor. So the Bible was not given to man so that he could fix his story. A lot of people think the Bible is a little fix-it guide for your life. That's not why it was written. The Bible is his story and how you find your place in it. It's his story. It's his story. It's not your story, but you know what? You find yourself in the story because in his story, he manifests his devotion and his crazy love for you. And if you're not seeing that in the book, you're not reading it properly. If you're not seeing that in the book, you're seeing it out of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil rather than life. You don't find 10 steps to a better life in your Bible. But I do. My favorite internet preachers always give me 10 steps to break stress, 10 steps to a better marriage, 10 steps to a better you, 10 steps to... See, they think the Bible is a little book where you can pull out principles and wonderful things, and they're literally teaching and leading churches out of a realm of moralism. You could do better. You could do better. I'm committed to making you a better person. I'm not a better person. I'm a new creation. You cannot better what I have. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if you think you can improve upon that, you're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, and there's all kinds of people in churches constantly feeling condemned, feeling guilt, and feeling shame, and feeling like, I never measure up. Jesus measured up. He did it all. He got a 10 out of 10. And you know what? You get it because he did it. So your life with God is not based on your performance. It's based on his performance. And we don't walk by sight or by our senses or by our behavior or our abilities. We walk by faith in the finished work of God. So I got here, you read about God who through his son took 10,000 steps to you. It's not you trying to make steps to him. But Western culture is intoxicated on knowledge. Western culture, we're always like, Hey, God, you hang out up there, and we'll build the Tower of Babel. We're going to get up to you. You hang tight and rest. We're coming. And it's rubbish. You can never do it. And then you try to do it. He'll frustrate it because there's one way to the relationship with God, and it's through Jesus, and it's through faith alone. But you see, everybody, and I put 10,000 steps, but it's so wrong. You could put a gazillion, bazillion, million, and you barely touch it because God is absolutely crazy about it. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. He always loves you, and you can never do anything to make him change his mind about you. He's ridiculously crazy in love with you. Please, I'm trying to finish here. 
So the Bible isn't mainly about you. The Bible isn't about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he's already done. The Bible is about Jesus. You see, one of the favorite things I did in this building was I took a whole year to preach on something called the Jesus trip. And what I did was I went from the beginning all the way through the end, and we saw Jesus on every page. If you don't see Jesus on every page, you're reading the Bible with the wrong lens. If you're trying to be smarty pants, I know the Bible better than you, I'm going to run away from you. Because I don't know what I believe, I know whom I am believing, and it's a person, and it's Jesus. And I get a revelation of how much he loves you, and you realize that you are in him. Luke 24, 27, I love this. Jesus catches up with people that are leaving their destiny. They got so shattered by what happened at the cross, and they just went, wow, our life is over. And they were walking away from Jerusalem. They were headed to Emmaus, which means warm bath. They were like, man, I'm going to light some candles, sit in a hot bath, because that day really stunk. Well, Jesus caught up with them and said, where are you going? He said, are you the only guy who doesn't know the tragedy that just took place? And Jesus said, let me tell you some stuff from the Scripture. And he opened the Bible from Moses all the way through the prophets, and he showed them himself. Another translation says he expounded on the Scriptures and showed them how to read their Bibles. You know how you read your Bible? Things concerning himself. That's what the one who is the living word, who when he's chasing people to bring them back into their destiny, what was important in the scripture? It wasn't, you know, if you turn from him, if you, if you turn after he's been kind to you and good for you, I tell you, there's no coming back. I tell you, if you, if you don't stay hot for Jesus, that's not what he said. He showed them himself from right from the beginning to the end. He showed them himself. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? And they wanted more. And the end of the story was they saw Jesus and they ran back into their destiny. You know, if people are struggling, show them Jesus. Show them the love of their soul. Don't show them, you know, you're, you're bad. You're a loser. You know what the Bible says is going to happen to people like you. Yeah, Jesus is going to chase you down, love on you, get you back into your destiny. Because that's what he does. Three people excited about that. That's what he does. 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 All right. So he showed them himself. Genesis chapter 1. Are you ready? Genesis chapter 1. Then God blessed them. He created everything. You know, you notice how he created man after he created an atmosphere in some place that let them hang out. He didn't create man, and then they are floating in a lifeless existence. He created the whole world, and he placed man in it. He created all these things. I'm God who stretched forth the heavens and created the earth, and I put man in the middle to manifest my glory. So he blessed them. Say, bless them. And God bless them. Nothing matters without the blessing. Thank you, God. The first thing you did was you blessed us. And God said to them, now be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. That's, that's kibosh, conquer it. Subdue it. Put the kibosh on everything. We were invited into a cosmic struggle where the enemy has been trying to come against the goodness of God. And he's a defeated foe. He's a creation. And yet God wants to finally, once and for all, have victory over him. So God had a grand plan to create all of this stuff so that he could partner with mankind to put the devil in the spot once and for all. So we are a part of an amazing cosmic struggle that God said, I want your partnership in transforming the world. That's what we're all about. So he creates man. He puts him in the garden. He says, put the kibosh, have dominion over all the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, every living thing that moves on the earth. TLV says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, conquer it, subdue it, take authority over it. So who's got authority on earth? God. 
No, he doesn't. God blessed us, and he gave us authority over earth. That's why Jesus had to become a man. Because if you're going to change anything in the earth, you've got to be wearing an earth suit. It's the same rule today. Oh, God, please change all this. Well, let me give you a download and the power and authority you have and speak. Open your mouth and change your world. If things are going to change, it's going to happen because you engage the purpose of God. He's already done his part. It's done, done, done. It's time for us to rise up and understand who we are. People don't understand. Then the Lord took the man. He put him in the garden. He said, keep it. That's the word shamar. Keep it. Guard it. Well, what am I guarding it from? You're guarding it from God's enemies. There are enemies. God created all these things, but in this cosmic struggle, he plants this wonderful place. But in the midst of this cosmic struggle, God had to say, now guard it. I just made a massive expression of my kindness and my goodness. There is an enemy who's going to attack this. So I've given you authority over it all, and I've given you responsibility now to guard my intentions and to guard my purpose. you got to guard his intentions. I know what God's going to do in and through my life in the next few weeks. Do you? I know it. That's why the enemy broke my wife's arm and stole my car. That's what my mother would have said right away. She would have said, God wants to do something great. Look how the enemy's after you. It's not altogether wrong. You can get weird, creepy, and extreme with that, but you know the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. Say life. What is the one tree called? It's the tree of life. What did they walk away from? Life. What did they embrace? Knowledge. Don't we love knowledge? Don't we like to be the smart one in the room? Don't you know what I know? You know what I know? Jesus. Life. Mankind is a part of the eternal purpose of God to once for all put the kibosh on all evil to guard against every intrusion. The devil wasn't going to just sit back and let it happen. He attacked God's plan immediately. Immediately attacked God's plan. He saw this little wedge issue. He saw this little thing where, ooh, I see an open door here. God told them to stay away from that. Mm-mm, okay. So you had the tree of life in Christ, the grace of God. Say grace. It's the unmerited, beautiful. What is? What is Jesus? Jesus came, and he was the full expression of God. And what was he? He was grace, truthfully. He, what, what, how do I define Jesus? John chapter 1 defines him for you. A manifestation from heaven. God spoke clearly. God revealed who he is. He is grace, truthfully. It's not grace and truth. It's an absolutely true manifestation of the grace of God. Boom. So that's the tree of life. And that's what we have been invited into. It's a gift for us, the tree of life. But over here was the tree of knowledge. Stay away from that one. And what is it? It's not the tree of sin. Sin is messing up our lives. It's really not. Knowledge is. See, there's a knowledge that is pure. It's divine. It comes from God. It flows from him. And it's a beautiful knowledge. It's a, it's a part of the aspect that we receive from him. It sources him and it operates from him. But you see, the thing is, I want to be the owner of knowledge. I want to be the source of knowledge. I want to determine what's good and what's bad instead of leaving all of those calls completely to him. Those who are led by the Spirit, they are the children of God. And the Spirit is life. 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 So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in Adam, there's two types of people in the earth today, in Christ and in Adam. I really hope you're going to get this, or I'm going to teach it for the next 20 weeks or more, because there are so many problems in the body of Christ and in the world today, and it's straight up because the tree of knowledge is still affecting fallen man and churches. It's really, really bad. How many have been to church and, and you stopped going to church because you just 
I, I, I can never, ever be what they've asked me to be. I can never live up to their expectations. I, I came hopeful, and I left feeling like a loser. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Who has felt like that when you went to church? Wow. I felt like that. I, I just read, be holy as I am holy. I went, people, honestly, if that's really in here and that's the standard, the rest of you are fakers, because quite honestly, are any of you think you can hit that standard? You're a joke. Like, that's ridiculous. And yet some of us just sit there going, I, I, I can pretend for a while that I think I can do it. And there's some people just intoxicated on, on ignorance. All right, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord commanded them, saying, every tree of the evil you can freely eat. Say freely eat. Woo! But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it, because when you do, you will. That day, that very day, don't eat of it, because that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That day that you disobey me, you'll surely die. No, the day that you eat of the fruit of it. You see, it's not the disobedience of God. It's that you took the fruit and it got into you. The seed of knowledge of good and evil got into you and it corrupted you forever. Man was completely corrupted. And seminally, it's passed down to every single man. Every single person is born in Adam. Every single are born with that nasty bent of judgment. We wake up and we want to judge everybody, tell everybody what to do and say, I know stuff. I know Jesus. Then the serpent comes along and he said to the woman, you will not surely die. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. You will not surely die because you will surely die. But you see, it's a spiritual death. It's where no longer will you be living out of God as your life source. You will die in communion with God. Not because God has lost his way or God has changed his mind about you. He's absolutely serious about you. But the fruit is going to cause a creeping death in you and in all of your relationships. For God knows that the day you eat, and this is true. God, this is true. This isn't a lie. For God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. True story. See, here's the lie, you shall not surely die. Here's the truth, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. How, what, what, how will you be like God? You'll be like God in knowing good and evil. How are you going to be like God? You'll be like God in knowing good and evil. You know, the only supreme person that exists who can handle the knowledge of good and evil and really handle it properly and judge correctly is God. In the hands of anything else in creation, it becomes corrupted. Hello? And sadly, church is still peddling so much from the tree of knowledge. And we got so much strife in the world today. Everybody's got an opinion about COVID. Everybody's got an opinion about Afghanistan. Everybody's got an opinion about our election coming up. Everybody's got the truth and the good, the bad, and all that stuff. And we are spouting constantly from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when we should be constantly living out of the tree of life. Doesn't mean we shouldn't call things what they are. We should. But it should never be done in an attitude that is not absolutely gracious and absolutely loving. Because Jesus called, and this may not sound loving, but you know who he called evil? The religious people. He said, you whitewashed tomb. I mean, your mouth, your, when you open your mouth, death comes out. That's not really complimenting, is it? But you know what? When it came to civil authority, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know who you were. But to the religious people who are causing deception and misleading people, he said, you serpents. 
said, you don't enter in and you won't let anybody else enter in. He says, you're twice a son, twice a son of the devil. That's some pretty polite stuff there, isn't it? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. So you'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. So original sin was eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The sin of pursuing life or your identity, your worth, your significance, or security for yourself apart from God. The attempt to know what God can only rightly know. So Satan's challenge to Adam and Eve was, don't you want to be godly? Don't you want to know right and wrong? You know what? And that sounds really good to me, doesn't it? Don't you want to come to my knowledge course? I'm going to teach you. I got an email. Actually, Madeline got it. And they wanted to bring all the youth leaders and groups together. And they wanted to, what we're going to do, our topic is, how young people can live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Doesn't that sound awesome? Who doesn't want all of our young people living a life that's pleasing to the Lord? Here's the sad lie in that. Here's the truth. You're already pleasing to the Lord. And so the sad thing is, is that we're going to take all of our youth who might show up because their parents make them, and they'll sit there and they'll hear another lesson about what a big loser you are and you could do better. You know what? You're not pleasing to God. But if you jump through these true hoops, you could be. So don't you want to jump through these hoops? And it's the subtle lie of religion that constantly drips off the hands of preachers and religious organizations and keeps people trapped from the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Wow, pastor. Wow. Wow, pastor, the fruit of self was introduced to mankind. We want to live independently of him. We have the ability now to determine what's wrong or what's right, and we will self-govern. We will choose what's moralism. And we literally define God for people. I define how God feels about you. I define how he feels about you. I sat in a meeting where somebody wanted to encourage us to get involved in something, and they went to John 15, and I went, oh, no, here we go. And I said, I know where this is going to go. And sure enough, they totally messed up. They bastardized the text. And they basically said, if you know, and they turned it into a thing. If you're not willing to be an evangelist and reach people for Jesus, he's going to cut you off and throw you in the fire. And that is such a misappropriation of that text. It says, you know what? If you're not bearing fruit, he will lift you up. The sad thing is, is a lot of translations say cut you off, and that's not what it says. It says, if you're not bearing fruit, if you're attached to the vine, who attached you? He did. Who's going to detach you? Him? Will he do it? Is he the enemy of our soul? No. If you're not bearing fruit, he's going to pick you out of the mud. If you've ever seen a vineyard, you know what? You don't cut stuff off the vine. That is going to produce fruit. You lift it up because you care about the branches. It says anyone who is not attached to him gets thrown out. But if you're attached, you're not cut off. If you're not bearing fruit, he makes you bear fruit. He comes alongside you. He says, let me get you out of the mud. Let me get you out of that miserable thing. Let me help you with your wrong understanding. And he attaches you, and he's committed to the fruitfulness in your life. But let's use that text to condemn people. Let's use that text to cause guilt and fear and shame. If you're not with us, He's going to cut you off and throw you in the fire. Anyways, praise God. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm like, I hated that. I said, that's the rubbish that breaks my heart every day, that this is what religious institutions peddle. I'd love to teach this every week because, sadly, you're going to leave here and you're going to spend the rest of the week on the Internet listening to other preachers. It's a true story. And, sadly, some of them have really big ministries, so they must know more than I do. And you're going to listen to that, and you're going to let mixture creep back in your life. I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to other stuff. You should, but you should always listen to it through the lens of the tree of life. And you need to discern what's really being said out there, because people are getting really confused.
three more weeks in this building, and then we're going to go where I can wear robes behind stained glass. <laughs> Pipe organs and my dream is going to come true. Anyways, just thought I'd lighten it up a bit because some of you are like, you know. Okay, Genesis 3, 7 to 8. Are you ready? Then he opened the eyes. Then the, he didn't open the eyes. Then the eyes. What did, what did the devil say? The devil said, your eyes will be open. So what happened when they ate the fruit of the tree? Their eyes were opened. Tell me, were, were Adam and Eve blind? Do you mean all that time they couldn't see, Pastor? No, they could see. And everything they saw was through the lens of the tree of life. But now their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were happy so much like God, so full of the ability to do so much more. No, their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they ran to him and said, something just messed up our lives. I mean, suddenly, I, I, things have come into my mind that are just awful. I don't want this anymore. Please help me. That's not what they did. They made figs and they covered themselves. And when they heard the Lord, just like every other day, when the Lord said, hey, guys, let's hang out. What do you want to do? He comes down. He knows where they are. He knows what happened. He knows the desperate state they're in. But he still invites them. I'm going to give you, come on. I want you to come out in the open. Let's, let's live openly. Come to me and know that I love you. But you see, they were stuck in guilt and fear and ignorance and shame. There's a lot of people out there in the world stuck in guilt and fear and ignorance and shame. And then they come to the church, and they get more heaped on them. When they come to the church, they should get the unconditional, unconditional love of God. You know what unconditional means? It means there's no conditions on it. There's no ifs and buts and candies and nuts, and we'll all have a Merry Christmas. All right, so they hid. Say hid. See, when, when, when the knowledge of good and evil comes in your life, suddenly, Boom. Boom, a wash of stuff that you should never have to handle themselves from the presence of the Lord and God among the trees of the garden. God's going to kill us. We just blew it. We have totally really screwed up. I've done it now. And you see, that's what happens. And, you know, the fruit of that is always, you know, that kind of stuff. So God comes and he's, he's, they instead of became accusers of God themselves and each other, and that's the wages of sin, and the wages of sin is death. So authentic Christianity is about union and communion with God. That's authentic Christianity. See, when you got born again, you were made alive. You were given the life of God. That life of God came in you, and you were once and for all united with God, and nothing had changed that. You didn't make it happen. You can't change it. He did it. You didn't put yourself in. You can't take yourself out. He's absolutely committed to you. So Christianity is about a union with God. Remember in, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law. How do I get the kingdom? Well, you got to be born again. What do you mean born again? And he said, teacher of the law, how is it you don't understand this? You are spiritually dead, and you need to be born again. It says it all through the scripture. But here's a teacher of the law who all he did was teach right and wrong. He was teaching from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that when life came, he didn't recognize it. And when, he, when the life said exactly what the book said, you need to be a new creation. There needs to be a brand new you. And the one who should have known that because he's a teacher of it, he didn't know it because he was using the wrong lens to teach. Is anybody tracking with me still? Good. All right. So knowledge of good and evil is prohibited. They didn't have it. They didn't need it. They were corrupted by it. Religion is moralistic way of viewing God. It's a moralistic way of living life. Moralism is not Christianity. 
God did not in any way change because they ate of the tree of knowledge. He didn't change one bit. He's still nuts about them, still loves them. He's just like, oops, here we go. But see, in all of that, God still had an amazing plan. But something did happen. Man changed. His view of himself changed. His view of others changed. His view of God changed. Your view of God is the most important thing about you. And if you have a view of God where you don't think the only thing you should expect from him is love, love, and more love. If that's not your view of God, you have a broken lens. And you might have been eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's still there, and it still exists in our world. But when you eat of the tree of life, you realize that I'm in union with him once and for all. Anyone who is joined with him, they become one spirit with him. One spirit with him. I'm not close to God, and I don't get less close to God if I do something stupid. I cannot be separated from his love. I'm in union with him once and for all, forged in union with him. God himself did it, and I can't change a thing about it. And if you think you can, that's because you've been listening to way too many teachers that are teaching from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a true story. And I pray that God would baptize your minds today once and for all, that the Spirit would quickly illuminate for you when that rubbish is heard, and that you immediately go, that's not right. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Genesis 3.10. Where are you? Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. I was naked, and I hid myself. You see, that's what knowledge of good and evil does. Oh, he ate of the tree of sin. It's not the tree of sin. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil will separate you from each other. It'll separate you from God. It'll separate everything. Well, I believe this about this. Well, I believe this about this. Well, you're wrong. Well, you're wrong. Strife and division, every evil thing. Fear, ignorance, and guilt, fig leaves. Fear, ignorance, and guilt. I don't trust you. I don't know you. I'm not any good. Victimization enters in, and condemnation and blame enters in. Adam, what did you do? I didn't do it. She gave it to me, and you, you gave me her. So ultimately, this is your fault. And then she said, look, it, it, it wasn't my fault. It was the devil. And then the devil, he was standing there, and he said, it was you? Boom. And, of course, the devil didn't have a leg to stand on. Okay, never mind. All right. But then the gospel came, and all of this happens in the first three scenes of the Bible, the first three scenes of the Bible. Genesis 3.15, he says, look, devil, he says, he's going to bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. But that he is a pronoun. It's a he. It's a personal pronoun. Somebody is coming who's going to do that. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord clothed them in tunics made of skin. Blood was shed. Say blood was shed. Blood was shed. Hebrews 9.7, you can be redeemed, but not without blood. Nothing can be redeemed without blood, which he offered for. Isn't it interesting? He offered for you. But look what it says, that he offered for himself and for the people's sins. That human Jesus, there had to be a pouring of blood. He became sin who had no sin, and that blood was offered for himself. The pure, spotless blood of Jesus flowed over the body that received the sin the awful deeds of all of mankind in all of history. The pure, spotless blood flowed over top of all brokenness for every generation and every century. And the blood completely redeemed humanity. Every act, past, present, and future was covered by the blood of Jesus. You are redeemed, but not without blood. And God then started this whole pattern of blood. And all, all the way through, you see, man, you guys, your Bible, it's a bloody gospel. It really is, because life is in the 
blood. And so there had to be that. So the choice remains for every person. Who do I trust? Who's in control? Listen to this. God doesn't want to control you. Listen. You know, my daughter, when she was a teenager, she's like, she wants to date. And I say, well, dating is evil. You're not going to date until you're 28, you know. It rhymes. It sounds good to me. But, you know, sometimes I was always concerned if, if people came into a world and they wanted to control her. Because I'll tell you this, where there's control, there's no love. You ever watched a relationship and you see there's control in there, there's manipulation in there, and you see there's all this awful stuff? Where there's control, there's no love. Well, I'm controlled by God. You're not controlled by God. He loves you. Control is a horrible thing. He doesn't control you. He loves you. He gently leads you. He doesn't, if you put a string on a table, take a string, put it on a table. If you come from behind and you try to push it, it goes nowhere. It gets all messed up. He doesn't pull you. He leads you. He loves you. He blesses you. He supports you. He never controls you. You know who's in control in this relationship? You are. It's so wild. Is that he lets you be absolutely in charge, and he trusts you. And he, he, he trusts that his love will win you. He trusts that his love, properly taught, will lavish you. And you know what? Control will never cause righteousness. Love will cause righteousness. Let's go back to church this week and be controlled again. Let's go back this week and let the pastor control us with another 10 steps to how to be a better person. I only got a one-step program. Jesus. I, all I am is an usher. I just kind of go, hey, pastor, meet Jesus. Jesus. You're beloved. That's all I do. You see, because it says there's going to come to a point where we all step in the anointing where you don't need anyone to teach you because the anointing teaches us all things. So what do I need to do? I need to make you really dependent on the fact that I'm a gifted teacher. Come to our church every week. Listen to my podcast every day of the week afterwards, and you're going to have a breakthrough, brother. No, I don't want to attach you to me. Because if you're attached to me, oh, my goodness, what a lot of pressure that is for me. But you know what? I know that he will never leave you, never fail you, never break your heart. And I know you can trust him, and I want to introduce you to him. And that's all I do. Jesus, done. Then I go golfing. <laughs> True story. All right, going tomorrow. Amen. Who wants union and communion with God? You do. He's our source. So 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Amen. Amen. You cannot, you can't even split. You can't divide. You cannot get between me and God. We're too close. Can't touch this. Can't touch this, Joey. Can't touch it. Moralism, the belief that the gospel can be reduced to improvements of behavior. Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. See, if, if, you, if you think you doing good and, and your behavior affects your relationship with God, then you're stuck in moralism. You're stuck in, you're stuck in conditions. Don't you want to be a 10 out of 10? I opened a blind eye once. I really did. I really did. A blind lady was healed. And if you want to open blind eyes like I have done, here's the 10 steps to opening blind eyes. I don't have a 10-step program. When they brought the blind lady, I said, what's wrong? She's blind. I went, oh, my God. 
I went, Father, and I cursed blindness in Jesus' name. And then they all started to jump around. I went, what happened? They said, she can see. I went, she can see? I mean, I was so surprised. You know what the 10-step program was? It was one, Jesus. Number two, Jesus. Number three, Jesus. Number four, Jesus. Number five, Jesus. Number well, you know, right? But, you know, so many people come in and go like, I am a mighty man of God. I wake up at 4 in the morning, have a cold shower, and pray in tongues for half an hour. And power comes upon me. And so you know what? You know what that is? It's a scale. And so when you reach here, you actually become qualified to do miracles. God qualified you for everything. He qualified you. The, the scale is Jesus. So I, I'm in on it all for free? Yes. Freely you've received, freely give. So all of us can heal the blind? Yes. <laughs> There's your miracle course. Done! Check the box. Dr. R. Albert Moeller, Jr., president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, article in uh, 2009, Why Moralism is Not the Gospel. All right? I'm just quoting a little bit from that article because I thought it was great, and rather than my words, I'll give you his. The theological temptation of moralism is one many Christians and churches find it difficult to resist. The danger is that the church will communicate by both direct and indirect means that what God expects of our fallen humanity is moral improvement. In doing so, the church subverts the gospel and communicates a false gospel to a foreign world. The deadly danger of moralism has been a constant temptation to the church and an ever-convenient substitute for the gospel. Clearly, millions of our neighbors believe that moralism is the message. Where did they get that from? I think they got it from us. Nothing less than the boldest preaching of the gospel will suffice to correct this. How are we going to correct this, pastor? Boldly preach the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that will correct it, this correct this impression that will lead sinners to salvation. Hell will be highly populated with those who were raised right. The citizens of heaven will be those who by sheer grace and mercy of God are there solely because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Moralism is not the gospel. All these notes are online. You can download them. You can download them before you come on Sundays. You can have them on your phone and you can follow along and say, he's almost done. Genesis 3, and 24, man has become like one of us. See, that's what God said. God said man has become like one of us. What? How did he become like God? In a way that he shouldn't. He came to know good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand to the tree of life and eat and live forever, now that he's so screwed up with the knowledge of good and evil, we got to close down the tree of life to him. Because if he eats of the tree of life in this fallen state, he'll be damned forever. So God separating man from the garden and separating him from the tree of life was the grace of God and the mercy of God. That wasn't a judgment. That was kindness. Some people think, because of your sin, you've been separated from the tree of life. No, it's because of God's love you were separated from the tree of life. Because he didn't want you to eternally live in a fallen state because he had a plan to redeem you. Say, thank you, pastor. So he drove out the man, and he put flaming swords in the way to guard it. Flaming swords that turned every way so they could never find their way back. 
to the tree of life. God guarded the tree of life. Morgan Guyton, he said, so we should not be pursuing the knowledge of good and evil when we read the Bible. That's eating the same fruit of Adam and Eve. Instead, we should be reading the Bible to discover the love of God that makes us more loving. Sadly, too many Christians want knowledge more than love because knowledge gives us a feeling of power. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge gives us a feeling of power. I know stuff. Knowledge, it makes us think we can be like God, exactly what the serpent tripped Eve into believing. But knowledge itself, even perfect knowledge of good and evil, has no power to make us like God at all. It is love that makes us like God. Hello? They'll know, Christ, know that you're Christians and believers because of all your knowledge about stuff. They'll know that you're Christians because of your agape your selfless love for each other. It is love that makes us like God, and only God can be the origin of love. We can only be its recipients and its conduits. Humble yourself. He gives more and more grace to the humble. Amen. Genesis 5, 3, And Adam lived 130 years, and he begat a son in his own likeness and after his own image. After Adam, everybody was not created in the nature of God. They were created in the nature of Adam. So after Adam, everybody was recreated broken. Broken for all have sinned and fallen short of the intentions of God. Every single person is broken. You didn't fall from God because of your sin. Oh, check, they sinned enough. They're separated from my glory. Oh, you weren't separated from God the moment you sinned. You were separated from God at birth because you were born in Adam. And you weren't separated from God because you practiced enough evil to finally check the box and say, you're an evil person. See, you don't have a sin problem, you have a birth problem. Please, let me say that again and repeat it after me. I don't have a sin problem. I had a birth problem. That's the truth. That's why you need to be born again. But you know what the teach, church is teaching? You need to stop sinning so that God will think you're worthy enough to save. And then after he does save you, you better stop sinning so that he'll keep you there. Sin is not the problem, yet sin is the subject all over the place instead of the love of God. So you needed to be born again. That's why he said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I can't believe it. You are a teacher of the law and you don't understand. You must be born again. How do I get into the kingdom? Do I stop sinning and behave right? No, you need to be born again. You are so broken that we can't even regenerate or do anything about it. The thing's got to be blown up and thrown away. There needs to be a new creation. You need to be born from above. That's the only way. And if you don't have that, if you're sitting in this church and you think you're born again, but you join the moralism trip, you need to go sit in an apartment somewhere and say, God, I want to be born again. And you got to know that you're born from above. And when you know that, oh, what liberty and freedom enters your life for once and for all. I can never be accused again. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Boom, who the Son set free is free indeed. Ha. John 17, Jesus, his high priestly prayer. Father, I finished everything you wanted me to do. Now here's what I'd like. Father, I want that they may be one as you and the Father and I and me are one. What does he want? What's his goal? I want to remove all of this brokenness and all of this hatred and all of this stuff. I want them to be one, Father, that they all may be one, one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and that the glory that you gave me and that, uh, that I've given them, I've given them the glory that you gave me. What's that glory going to do? It's going to make them one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one. 
How many think Jesus' prayers always get answered? Good answer. Yes, they do. See, that's what Jesus wanted. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. In the Garden of Eden, right away, he attacked the purpose of God. Right away. And he always, he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have eternity. He came that you might go to heaven. He came that you might join a church and try to do better. No, Jesus came that you might have life. And it's not a bios life. It's a Zoe life. I told you about my bios. I told you my wife fell and broke her arm. My car got stolen. That was my bios life. But you know what? I can overcome anything that's going on in the bios realm because I live out of the Zoe. And even though I looked at the bios and I looked at all of those things, I looked at it and I said, man, some good stuff's headed my way. Because I don't live according to the bios, I live according to the zoe, and I live according to the covenant-keeping God who's always at work for good according to my life and situation. If I lived according to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I could go, oh, well, Pastor Cheryl fell because she was stupid. She stood on a chair that spins and has rollers. What got into her crazy head? Pastor Carl, your car got stolen because you live in the wrong neighborhood. Clearly, if anything's been stolen from you, it's that there's unconfessed sin in your life. You're not living right. There's something secret and nasty in your life because the devil has touched you. Hey! Some of you were already thinking that. I know I could feel it. No, I'm talking about other people, not talking about you. I love you. But, you know, we do that sometimes. You know, you know why that happened? You know why they're sick, hey? They're sick because of blah, blah, blah. We're sick because we're in a fallen, broken world and sickness comes. My, my car got stolen because some stupid person wanted to steal a car that night. And Jesus was like, hey, leave the car alone. Hey, leave the car alone. But he wasn't hooked up to the big fella. And uh, he was possessed with the demon of theft. Receive the God kind of life. Receive his righteousness. Say receive. Receive. I have come that you might have Zoe. I have come that you might have eternal life. I have come that you might live out of the tree of life again. I have come to break you free of the knowledge of good and evil. And I have come that you can be reconnected to the source that God himself will be your life. That's what the gospel is all about, folks. John 4.10, here is Jesus talking to woman. Well, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, say gift of God. If you knew the gift of God and who this was and what I'm saying to you, you'd say, give me a drink. And you would have asked, and I would have given you a drink, and you would have been given living water, living water, living water, freedom and satisfaction, living water. You know, I'm thirsty. Is anybody thirsty for more of God? If we're going to have a revival, please don't clap. This is a trick. If we're really going to have revival, we got to get thirsty. If we're going to have revival, we got to get hungry. Oh, we got, is anybody hungry for miracles? Who's hungry for revival? Revival doesn't depend on our hunger. It depends on God's goodness. Because if you're thirsty, have a drink, and look what it says. He who drinks this water will never thirst again. Or he who drinks this water is going to thirst, but if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. I can never figure out why believers are saying, I'm thirsty. I'm going, did you drink at the wrong fountain? Because the fountain of life, it satisfies. Even Jesus said in the Beatitudes, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Like, not you will be on a constant treadmill of, I could do better, I could do better. Oh, I want to be right. Oh, God, I want to be right. You know, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, because, you know, all my attempts are brutal. I've never been able to do it. So you're really ready to be poor in spirit and trust me? Yes. 
boom, drink from mine, and you'll never thirst again, and you'll always be satisfied. Hey. But see, we even preach revival from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not good enough for God to visit you. God won't visit London because it's evil. Even the church is evil. Let's go find an old covenant prayer. If my people who are called by my names will humble themselves and pray, I who am stuck up there in heaven and don't give a rip about them, I might scratch my head and go, well, because you tried really hard, I'll come. It's rubbish. That is an old covenant prayer based on old covenant rules that don't apply to us anymore. And yet we keep on praying it, and God's up there scratching his head. And I asked him how he felt about that. And he said, Carl, I thought they were smarter than that. True story. He literally said that to me. There's a lot of dumb sheep following leaders who don't know where they're going. But my God, they got 500,000 followers. Isn't it amazing? Why does the road... Revelation 22.2, in the middle of the street and on either side of the river is the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits each yielding in its season, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. How many think the nations need to be healed? You know what we need? The knowledge of good and evil. You know what we need? And you know what's going to heal the nations? It's in the book. It started with the tree of life. It ends with the tree of life. You know what's going to heal the globe, heal your world, touch everything? The tree of life. And the leaves on that tree are going to heal the nations. But if you're thirsty today, you can drink right now. If you're thirsty today, if you're burned out on religion, that's what Jesus said. If you are burned out on religion, come to me. Come to me and drink because I am the fountain of eternal life. If you come to me and drink, you'll be satisfied. You'll never thirst again. Come and learn from me the unforced rhythms of performance. No, the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm going to teach this sermon for the next 10 weeks until you can memorize it and you can quote it yourself, wrote. I'd like to. I honest to God would like to. But some people would get bored with beautiful truth, and they'd want other stuff. It's the most important thing I could ever teach. And there's so many other things to unpack in the midst of this, the tree of life, that people are so messed up, and they're still trying to prove that they're worth it out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're judging everything in the world based on a scale. And you walk up, and you, you hang out with those people, and just walking towards them, you can feel like the standard was applied, and I'm just not cool enough for their world. And it's really sad when we behave like that towards each other. It's really bad when we behave like that towards anything. It's really bad when we misrepresent God to people that he's that kind of God because he's not. He's a God that's nuts about you, loves you. It's not about what you did. It's about what he's done. And he's totally set you free and he totally loves you. And please, if you think differently, stop it. Let me repeat that. Please, if you think differently, stop it because it's a different gospel, and it's one that will not lead people to Jesus. won't change the world. It'll just lead to more condemnation, more accusation, more blame, more shame, and more guilt, and the world has had enough of that. <laughs>